Hello. Today on Health on the Line, I'm speaking to, well, a rock star health leader. She's a dame. She runs one of the most successful hospital trusts in the country. She's often been a spokesperson for our leading hospitals. The areas in which she's developed a national reputation include university, hospital collaboration, and action on climate change. Her fortnightly blog is essential reading, not just for her thousands of staff, but for anyone with an interest in what's happening in our hospitals. And to cap it all, she's now to be seen in the acclaimed Channel 4 documentary, Geordie Hospital. She is, of course, Dame Jackie Daniel, and anything she says is really worth listening to. New ideas. Big debates. Meeting the changemakers. Transforming services. I'm Matthew Taylor, and this is Health on the Line, brought to you by the NHS Confederation. So um, I've started watching Geordie Hospital. I mean, it's it's wonderful. It's heartlifting. How, how did you enjoy that first episode? <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I mean, you know, we'd done some, obviously we'd spoken to the, um, the film crew and the producers of the programme, but you never really know how things are going to pan out until you actually watch it. So, so I was delighted. I just thought it was quite refreshing. I thought it was very different. We didn't want to just, you know, tell the story, the ongoing story of COVID. That's, that's you know, I think we're all sort of slightly um, fatigued around around that. We didn't really want to talk about winter pressures. We, we, we just wanted to, you know, tell, tell the story about the lives and work of, uh, people in our hospitals and hopefully reflect the amazing things they do for patients and their families. Yeah, and what and what really jumps out at you because you know it's been tough these last two years, and you know it's partly my job, Jackie, to draw attention to the pressures and difficulties that the health service is under. But when you've had that kind of, you've been listening to to tales of the NHS in crisis, the difficulties we've got the kind of level of morale and happiness and laughter. Uh, I mean, it's really it's really striking. Is that really how it is in your hospitals? I mean, of course, you know, not everywhere and not on every day. You know, we've got, you know, we've got close to 18,000 staff. So, um, but generally, I think that is true. I think it's something that I noticed when I came to work in the Northeast. It's something I noticed living in the Northeast, um, that, that that Geordie spirit is really real. You know, my relatives, when they come up and see me now, comment on that, you know, the warm and friendly kind of nature. But also it, it is that sort of um, ambition as well to be the best and, um uh, this kind of spirit and innovation, uh, which which I think did come through on the program, I see, I, I genuinely see every day. Uh, and of course, you know, through the pandemic, we've been working really hard as a leadership team to try and continue to create the environment where people can be the best of themselves each and every day. And that has been tough, but I think we found ways to do that. Um, and you can only do that really by asking staff the important question about what really matters to you and, you know, what makes a good day for you. I'll probably be revealing my terrible kind of prejudices here, but one half of that story doesn't surprise me at all. Um, actually, researchers always shown that the Northeast is one of the kind of happiest, most socially cohesive parts of Britain. But the other half, the kind of ambition, innovation, that that does feel different. When I've done work in the northeast in the past, 
I remember many, many years ago when I was at IPPR, I tried to set up a commission on public service productivity, um, you know, because the Northeast economy was so dominated by the public sector. And to be honest, the notion of productivity and innovation didn't really seem to kind of go down all that well. There wasn't so much enthusiasm for it. So that kind of left me with the sense that the Northeast was a place of high well-being and cohesion, but not necessarily a place that wanted to be at the kind of cutting edge of innovation. But Actually, as the, as the program shows, you've got both those things going on, haven't you? Yeah, and and, and Matthew, I, I would recognise some of what you said there, and and I think my partners in my civic partners in the city region would would recognise that. And I think what we've been trying to do over the last sort of three or four years, certainly since since I joined the trust, was bring out that innovation and enterprise in terms of our strategy, but also the work the way that we work with partners in the city. So, you know, hopefully through the blogs and things, people have heard something about Collaborative Newcastle. That's a really deep and broad programme of work and innovation with all of health and care in the city, but also with local business, the voluntary sector, with the city councils, the two brilliant universities. You know, you've got to, you've got to work on programmes that, that, and that staff can really engage in, and many of our staff are, um, to connect those big pieces, which are all about health, wealth, and the economy, um, and well-being. And, you know, it's no good. I, I don't take any joy of being, you know, um, the chief exec of a double-rated outstanding hospital when we've got some of the deep inequalities that have been so difficult to shift over, you know, decades and, in fact, generations. And I think what we're trying to do now, but in partnership, is really shift that. And that's incredibly energising for staff. They really they really get all of this and they really want to be um, part of that. There's so much there, Jackie, that I want to return to later on in our conversation. But but before we, we do, uh, we're speaking uh, just after the government has announced the lifting of, of, of restrictions. Now, I don't know. I, I, want, I hope they're right. I, I worry that they're not, is the way that I would 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 put it, because I I am concerned that that it's not just that we've had Plan B. People have also exercised a lot of restraint, and I just want worry about what will happen if if all that changes. But you know, we will see. But reading your blogs, you, you, I mean, it's quite poignant. You first mentioned COVID in January 2020, and then very soon after that, there's a visit of Chris Whitty to your infectious diseases unit. So you've really, from the very beginning right up to now, been deeply involved in this. We we do all hope that it's coming to an end. And although I'm I'm worried about the next few weeks, I'm more hopeful about the next few months. But what do you, Jackie, what do you draw if the, if it is coming to an end? What do you see as the main lessons of these last two years? We've learned an awful lot. So I guess there's so much innovation and learning through how we've dealt with the pandemic. And we must build on that. You know, lots of Lots of um, chief execs are talking about the way that their teams have, have you know, got into and and accelerated um, innovation and transformation of services at a rate we, we've never seen before. But I think one of the biggest lessons is, is about long-term infrastructure. So, you know, uh, we've done loads of things during this last two years I never thought we'd do. You know, one of the big things is building the biggest COVID testing laboratory in in the country, which has an innovation lab attached to it, 
uh, and uh, a kind of analytics, data analytics center as a sort of third leg of, of, of this thing. Now, building that, we couldn't, first of all, we couldn't have done it without the help of the universities and our partners in the city council and, and public health colleagues across the region. But we've done that now. It's there to see. It's having huge impact um, on the way that we're managing um, through through this pandemic. And of course, we're talking to the you know the UK Security Agency now, and 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 people like Jenny um, and her chair who have been incredibly supportive. But what we've got to do is is make sure that we we've got lasting legacy of infrastructure. Um, and and surveillance and new innovation that is there for you know God forbid you know the next version of Omicron the next variant or indeed the next um, pandemic because my experts tell me you know this one was pretty predictable and another one will come so for me that's 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 one of the big the big things that I'm pressing very very hard to make sure happens. Yeah, no, really interesting, Jackie. And I, I would just say in passing that I, I worry that, you know, most scientists think that future vari- variants of, of, of COVID will be less severe, but it's, I don't think any of those scientists would say it was certain. So actually, the chance of a bad variant is is still high. But yet, we don't seem to be having a conversation which we should be having about how we continue to focus on building our, our resilience as as, as someone said to me the other day, you know, with the quality of masks and air filters, the average traveller on a German bus is better protected than many people in clinical settings in England. So we, we mustn't take our eye off the ball of, of 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 thinking about how we can become more resilient. But but going back to your point about about innovation and change, and I, I completely agree with you. We're, we're doing some some work on this just to go through those things that have accelerated, whether it's you know, hospital at home and, and virtual wards, digital consultations, real-time public uh, health uh, I- I information, people getting used to doing home diagnosis, something which could be really transformative as the diagnostic revolution accelerates, you know, better collaboration between parts of the health service, local government, voluntary sector. The question, there, I mean, it's a long list, actually, when you look at it. Um, how do we maintain the pace of innovation and change do you think jackie i think i think at the moment we've got to have a fairly fundamental rethink the uk is a bit confused.com in terms of working out which centers do what and in other countries certainly across europe they're a lot more organized in terms of you know for example you know it could be cambridge really focusing on you know, diagnostics. It could be Newcastle fo- focusing on rare disease um, and, f- and aging, for example. We're not, I think we just need to get a lot better organised um, in the NHS, but broadly across government departments for how investment's made and what, how we're making sure, I suppose, we're using the best of every bit of asset. Um, and I think, you know, I think the NHS um, operating framework at the moment is really complex and you know and it needs simplifying you know and the obviously the emergence and the now you know the new integrated care boards and systems are a new feature of that we've really now got to kind of I think look at how we make sure we've got clear accountability and decision making through those multiple layers getting the best use of leadership in the system and with a really clear strategy and I think we're going to have to go back to the long-term plan, um, 
we've got we, you know we've got some operating guidance which is useful for the here and now but i do think we've got to we've got to step back and and reevaluate the bigger picture and where our priorities are yeah i mean i think an interesting element of the last two years has been uh, this combination of of, of strong centralization in some areas you think of the kind of vaccine program, for example, or, or the kind of rules that, that have been imposed by government. But then in, in, in some ways, though, a much more permissive environment in terms of the scope for local leaders to do whatever they have needed to do to cope with these waves. So there's something there, isn't there, to learn, Jackie, about this balance of, of, of central and local initiative? Absolutely. And, and I mean, dare I say it, even, you know, we, we're a strategic vaccine coordination centre for the for the northeast and beyond and dare I say it you know the centre have played a really important role let's not take that away from either you know the government or or you know central NHS um, but it's the service and it's the leadership the dispersed leadership right across the country that's actually delivered it um, and contributed to and you know I think provided some of the best advice on day to day on on what work is working and what isn't so I've seen the dynamics of that play out really really um, interestingly and you know going right back to the early days of the first wave my the lessons I take from that is I talked constantly to the to the experts I had within the organization about what to do next um, and you know, I think, I think it's a real lesson. So I'm, I'm really hoping that that less central command and control really comes through in this next um, chapter. And I'm really hoping that the new integrated care structures and systems allow for that um, leadership at local level, because it's it, it's re- that's the thing that's really made a difference throughout the pandemic. We, we've commissioned Chris Ham to write a paper um, on. The role of the centre in the context of systems, because I think that that systems simply won't work uh, unless the centre, as it were, loses an empire and finds a role. There are some things that the centre absolutely needs to do completely, and you know we're publicly funded through taxation, and there's a, important issues around accountability, strategy, expertise. But if ICSs feel like they're simply the delivery mechanism for uh, you know plans developed at the centre, not only is that going to limit that scope for local innovation, but also why would our partners play with us? Why would local government, why would anyone want to work with the NHS locally if all the NHS locally is doing is what they're told to do by the centre? So I, I, I think that and I know the centre's doing some of this thinking. This is why we commissioned Chris to, to do it, because I think our view, Jackie, is that the conversation about the NHS's operating model must be a conversation for the whole system, not just for the centre. I mean, if systems don't have freedom, local government, for example, will just, well, they'll say, well, look, you know, we've got a lot, of, we've got a reasonable amount of latitude, no money, but a reasonable amount of latitude, but we can't work with you if you if you also can't be flexible. And, and that's what they're saying to, to, to us locally. Um, indeed. Um, so I think this is one of the most important jobs for the next sort of six, nine, 12 months. It's really, really top of my agenda to, to try and work with colleagues to, to get some clarity on that. And I think the work that you've commissioned with Chris, you know, will be really helpful because we, we need multiple lenses on it, you know, um, to, to make sure we get it right. And it needs to be co-produced. And let's talk about local government a bit. You know, I've noticed in the last few weeks some adverse comment from local government about the reforms, worries about their representation on ICBs and stuff like 
that. Mm. What's the message you think we need to give local government to, to give them the kind of confidence that, that they, they can work with us? And also, what's the advice you'd give to other health leaders about how best to work with local government? Because I know that many health leaders have found it difficult. And that's not always their problem. It's sometimes to do with the kind of political volatility of local government. It's really, really important that you kind of work out what is the kind of common common agenda. Um, but, you know, health's got to lean in. You know, I, it's, you know, there is sometimes when, you know, during the last three years, you know, it's been, you know, it's not all kind of take from, we can't keep doing that from a health perspective. We've, we've got a bit of, well, we've got a history of it, to be, to be blunt. And I think that's partly about over-centralisation, um, and a bit diktat, you know, which obviously our local government colleagues absolutely hate. You know, they're they're kind of democratic, you know, organisations, and that's getting more and more important with as 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 we get into increased evolution. You know, unless the NHS catches up and aligns with that, there's there's always going to be this really hard edge boundary and barrier, um, and and they simply won't play and. And of course, what we what we do then is I can carry on doing what I'm doing in collaborative Newcastle. So the city region of Newcastle can, you know, fly in the head and do what we do. But actually, that's not good enough as a, a regional anchor organisation in health. I want to be trying to work across a, a much bigger geography in the northeast. So I think I think we've got to get it right. I think it's it's vital. We've not got a great track record and we need to make sure we concentrate our efforts on it. This is crucial for the next sort of two or three years for all kinds of reasons, not least of all because, you know, we've just increased taxes to do what we do in health. Um, You know, the populations we serve have got an absolute right um, to be engaged in what we're doing with that funding and how we work together to get the best um, and in, in terms of the priorities that we set together. But part of that, and I've been involved in some of these the discussions about the white paper, Jackie, is, is we need to put a bit more meat on the bones of what's going to happen in the integrated care partnerships. Because the, the, the danger is that we look at integrated care boards and we think, well, we kind of know what they're doing. They're, 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 they're going to be recognizable institutions in the sense that they get the money and they oversee what goes on in the health service and there'll be a certain degree to which they do kind of you know call it mm-hmm. performance management that's all kind of recognizable to health service leaders and and local government only has kind of one place on those those boards now that that is local government having a, a seat at the table determining how the health service spends its money which is an important step forward but but icps which are genuinely the partnership body we're, we're we're at the moment quite vague, I think, about what they're going to do, and I, I think over the next few weeks, and I've, I've urged for this to be part of that white paper. We need to, to to strengthen up what we're saying about what ICPs are doing. So, take one example. I, I think there's a kind of a, 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 a welcome proposal that we should try to think about workforce planning um, to cover health and social care and public health together? Why don't we workforce plan for all of that together and indeed relate that more broadly to local labour market strategy? Now, that's something that I think has to be 
driven by ICPs. They don't necessarily have to do the work. They might get other people to do the work. But ICPs need to oversee something like that kind of local workforce strategy. It's interesting because that's exactly what we're doing, um, Matthew, in Collaborative Newcastle. That's exactly what we're doing. You know, integrating care, but also working at strategic level on precisely those sorts of areas. So it can be done, but I, I, I worry. So in our ICP in the northeast, because we're such a big ICS, you know, the ICPs are actually not truly at place. They're still at sub-regional level. And we can probably make that work. But I think this is part of the issue about allowing, you know, the 1,000 flowers to bloom, that sometimes the coterminosity, you know, at one level it could be north of Tyne, um, but, but I think I see it working more deeply and in a much more integrated work, actually, in the city region of Newcastle. So we've got to be careful that we don't overlay, um, you know, um, structures that actually are not penetrable and don't work for local government at ICPs. And it's we've got such a variety, and I'm not suggesting that's necessarily a bad thing. They've got it's got it's got to be built up from what makes sense locally. But we've got to c- take care that we we're flexible enough to to you know um, to work with what works for them. Uh, and I'm I, you know I'm not always seeing that when I talk to colleagues down the country. I mean, I think part of this, Jackie, is that there needs to be a healthy challenge between the ICP and the ICB in the sense that you know we've been talking for some time and and covid has reinforced the importance of this of the need to recognize that the health service is not at the moment a service that responds to need it's one that responds to demand and that need and demand aren't the same thing and secondly that we've been speaking for a long time and all the way back to oneless before the long term plan about this kind of need for a leftward shift of resources you know, into community, into prevention, into public health, into primary care, moving resources upstream. And we've not really managed to accomplish that. And my vision of a, an ICS that's really motoring is an ICP which is challenging the ICB to say, look, how do we shift from incentivizing activity to incentivizing outcomes? How do we shift from meeting demand to meeting need? And I think if that happens, that, that will be a, a kind of healthy challenge. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. It's it's really essential. It goes back to, I think, the point that you raised right at the beginning, which was, you know, if the ICBs are not strategic kind of pace setters, you know, part of, you know, trying to get shared agreement on the really important priorities and almost, you know, allowing integrated care partnerships to figure out how that's best done, you know, we're really going to miss a trick. If, if they simply become a delivery arm, and connected to the chain on performance management and review, we've really lost it. Um, so it is is vital because otherwise, you know, there is there'll be little or no incentive to really change the dial um, and hold people to account for, you know, for doing what you said, which is you know working with shifting money upstream, trying to work on on different different set of priorities um, to get a different set of outcomes. It's really important. Yeah, uh, and, and that's why we're trying at the Confed to kind of make this explicit because I think that because of the pressures that we're under, because particularly of the elective backlog, which the Prime Minister and the Secretary of State have indicated is their number one priority, the danger is that those immediate demands squeeze out 
this kind of wider analysis of what health is is all about. And if you look at the planning guidance, you know, that was circulated just before Christmas, you know, there's nothing in a sense wrong with it, but but the message in it really is let's focus on doing things like we've always done them, but trying to do them you know, more quickly. I mean, there is obviously there's innovation around things like hospital at home or whatever, but it, that that planning guidance didn't feel like planning guidance for a system-based organization. So we, 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 we need to really open up this, this conversation, I think. We do. We do. So I think it kind of goes hand in hand in my head with the need to get the operating framework much more simple and certain, you know, so looking at what what are the layers, you know, of, of, of kind of um, structures at region and at place and centrally, what, what, what are they focused? Have they got a clear purpose? You know, have we got clarity around accountability? But, you know, at the same time, we need to be trying to look, and I appreciate it's been difficult because, you know, no one's really had the headroom, but we have to now create it. Because I think you're right, the planning guidance is, was just a kind of, you know, a step off from where we've been in the pandemic to to where we really need to be in the future. And unless we can, unless we can think more long term um, and much more boldly um, around the ambition, um, then we're just going to keep rinsing and repeating, and that is just not going to be that's not going to be enough to deal with the biggest backlog um, we've ever faced. So, Jackie, before I let you go, I, there's, I, I want to just talk about a couple of areas that you've particularly shown leadership uh, in. And the first is, which you've, which you've talked about a lot already, and that is um, uh, seeing the NHS not merely as a, a place that spends money, but also as a critical kind of part of the local economy, the, the role of the NHS as an anchor institution. This understanding of the NHS as an important part of the local economy, that's something that you've you, you've talked about a lot. And also, of course, in relation to the university and, and, and the scope there for the NHS to be part of kind of wealth generation. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced after 40 years in the NHS, you know, 20 years as a chief exec, that this is absolutely the right territory. And people who know me will know I talk about sticky edges, creating the sticky edges between organisations, both in public and private sector to build, rebuild the economy it is such an important driver of health and well-being um, but also joining up the assets that we have between things like you know organizations like universities and some of our education and training uh, infrastructure but housing you know um, uh, the voluntary sector etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and Let's be honest, Matthew, and I've been there. You know, if you're a chief executive in a a relatively small organisation where you just, you know, you may just be trying to, you know, just deal with the day-to-day delivery. And that's going to be, you know, facing many, many leaders over the next 12 months and the pressure to perform that. So, you know, I do think there there are organisations across the UK in our NHS, it includes the Shelford Group, but not exclusively the Shelford Group, who can, if you like, penetrate a slightly um, a more strategic space and provide the connectivity to, to some of these other big civic organisations that can really help form that, form that strategic rhythm, which, which will do things like develop a long-term workforce plan. You know, only through doing that, I think, will we really get 
um, products like that. So it's crucial, but probably not something that's on everybody's, every chief executive mind. What we need to do is work out how we play to the strengths of those organisations that, that can start to contribute to that and support organisations in their system to, uh, you know, to, to, to reap the benefits of that. Yeah, and you know, I would encourage any kind of ICS chair, chief executive, uh, to 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 speak with you and to and to come up to Newcastle because I think the, the sense there that you have of the NHS being a strategic asset, not just a public service, is it's 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 palpably different, and I think it's inspiring for people who may feel a long way away from that idea, but it is it seems to me critical. Uh, for the future and of course you've got important assets you've got strong local authorities you've got great universities but nevertheless that that sense that you are an asset is 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 very yeah. different from how it feels in other parts of the country no thank you thank uh, so jackie l- last thing i want to turn to you and is and this i'm concerned here because i think if i'd been speaking to you before cop 26 and i'd said you know you're a champion of the nhs's role in tackling climate change making its contribution to getting to net zero it would have seemed perfectly natural because we were all talking about that but the attention has has shifted we're talking about it a lot less you know and and now i almost sense that if i was to say to people well what about the role of the nhs and climate change they go hang on you know we've got the backlog well covid's not gone etc cetera, etc cetera. how do we sustain the enthusiasm for the NHS's role in relation to climate change? Mm. Well, I get a lot of that enthusiasm through our staff. You know, they're not going to let me take my eye off this. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not for, it's not everybody. It's not all the 18,000 staff, but I've got a significant number of staff who were engaged in how, you know, clinical teams who were looking at pathway revolution to make them f- way more greener. We've got people doing all sorts of things out and about in our region, out on the beaches, you know, in the in the green areas um, a- around, around the city. Um, so we're deeply focused. We're deeply focused as an organisation on what we can do with partners on things like, things that really contribute, which is, um, you know, the heat and light and energy that we use, you know. Um, so we're working at kind of macro and micro level, but this isn't something we can just sort of ignore for a couple of years. I mean, I think, you know, in other parts of our lives, when you, you sit and watch the documentaries or, you know, whether it's listening to David Attenborough or who, whoever, it's it's a ticking bomb, you know. And um, so I think there are enough enthusiasts. There's a really good network of chief execs and clinicians uh, across this across the UK and again the confederation could um, I've no doubt could really really help keep that group together and make sure that what we're doing is being heard it's it, it is difficult but it isn't because you know when you get a group of enthusiastic staff coming up with innovations that are making a difference day in day out and you've got strategic partners who, wor- who will work with you about different energy and and power solutions um it's I just I just it's just part of what we do here uh, and and for me that I, I'm not going to take my eye off that ball um, it's you know what what is there for future generations there is no health without good planetary health just simple as that one element of this is is that I do, do some work internationally with 
kind of international health organizations. And actually, this is one of the areas where people internationally think the NHS is kind of ahead of the curve in terms of its commitment. So it's also important, I think, in a, a time when often it can feel that we're not we're slightly more cut off from the world than we used to be in the past. And actually, this is an area where we seem to be providing leadership and we, we should carry on doing that, I think. So Jackie, before, final question. What 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 are your kind of remaining ambitions? You've achieved so much. You're achieving so much. Do you have any any other any other ambitions you want to share with us? It's really interesting. You look back, every year is different, isn't it? As a leader, um, the ambition's just as strong as it as it's been at any time. I think I think it really is on that on that. Of course, you you want to make sure your organisation's well led. You know, you, you don't get to do the other things unless unless you're doing that. So that's just as a given. Um, but I think it's really realising human potential. I'm just going to use that um, in terms of making a difference and and pushing the boundaries of the space in which we can make a difference. I think that's that probably best captures where I'm trying to go. And it probably best captures where we're trying to go in Newcastle. The world's an increasingly small place. You know, post-Brexit, we've got to make sure that we're working with our European and international colleagues um, because, we, you know, this is urgent. This is really urgent now. Um, but I don't, you know, let's be optimistic about that because that's that, that you know, uh, wanting to make a difference in that way creates an awful lot of energy and it can create innovation at pace, which is exactly what we need now. So, yeah, we've still got, we've got so much to do. Jackie, thanks so much. I, I, I don't know when I'll speak to you next, but I know that I'll be seeing you very soon because I will be glued to my TV every Monday <laughs> evening. Jackie, thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Health on the Line from the NHS Confederation. Visit nhsconfed.org for more information about us and to register for events and webinars that delve deeper into the issues explored in this podcast. And save the date for NHS Comfort Expo, the premier event in the health and care calendar, taking place on the 15th and 16th of June 2022 in Liverpool. <laughs>